Julie, we are in for a treat today. We're going to be having a very interesting discussion about the pharma life sciences sector. And our guest today is full of critically important information. I agree, Margie. I'm excited to have this discussion with Michelle and really see how the economy, the pandemic, and some of the political issues that we're dealing with right now, how those affect the pharma and life science industry. So Margie, let's talk tax. listening to Tap into Tax, PwC's podcast series covering current regulatory, legislative, and technology hot topics through the lens of our tax technical leaders, as well as process and technology subject matter specialists. This podcast features discussions with some of our leading minds around tax, trade, and domestic policy. Stay tuned to our regular updates and subscribe to our series to get notified as new episodes are published. Welcome listeners, this is Margie Dunshashaw. I am PwC's U.S. Tax Reporting and Strategy Leader, and today I'm joined by Julie Allen, PwC's National Tax Services Market Leader. Today we are also joined by Michelle Lee, who is a PwC partner based in New York, and she is also our new health industry and pharma life sciences sector leader. Now, Michelle's joined us to discuss the business and tax issues in one of the most high-profile industries during the pandemic, the pharmaceuticals and life sciences industry, or as we refer to it, the PLS industry. Michelle, congratulations on your new role, and welcome to Tap Into Tax. Thanks for having me, Julie and Margie. So let's jump right in, Michelle. Will you tell us about the current state of the PLS industry and where are we right now? Historically, investors have viewed PLS as an attractive investment due to the industry's traditional resilience in the face of economic challenges and the ability to diversify risk across its varied subsectors, including pharmaceuticals, biotechnology, and medical devices. But let's not forget about some of the mid-sized companies, which also include biotech, med-device, vaccines, therapies, and diagnostics, which have been top of mind during the pandemic and are sure to attract interest in the future as we are anticipating some companies becoming targets for acquisition. At the same time, unfortunately, some PLS companies have been negatively impacted from the pandemic. For example, in the medical device space, non-essential procedures came to a screeching halt for months. Similarly, biotech companies are contemplating divestiture of non-core assets and private equity roll-ups, especially in the case of startups. And let's talk about pharma. Although pharmaceutical companies generally might have been more resilient during this crisis, more so than the negatively impacted sectors such as travel and retail, they definitely are not immune to the economic challenges emerging from COVID-19. Companies in the PLS sector are under tremendous amount of pressure to take a hard look at their costs and are seeking to do more with less. Thanks, Michelle. That's very interesting. And your point on acquisitions, dispositions, and then really tying that into pharma or to the industry-specific type of issues was an interesting takeaway for all of us to hear. You know, it definitely seems like there are some highs and lows across the industry. 
You know, what are some of the challenges that you have seen when helping companies navigate through these uncertainties? Great question, Julie. At the beginning of the crisis, a good number of PLS companies faced liquidity issues, and our teams were able to work with our clients to stabilize their cash flows. So, for example, we identified opportunities where companies could be eligible for above the line refunds coming from U.S. Customs relating to new duty drawback rules. And like many other industries, PLS companies face government shutdowns, material shortages, extraordinary costs requiring supply chain resilience, as well as new regulations protecting privacy and health. And that brings me to an important issue. The COVID-19 pandemic is not merely changing one aspect of the health system, such as discovering or approaching new public health. This crisis also is editing the DNA of the health system around the world by accelerating what we call the new health economy. In fact, even clinical trials and R&D have gone remote in some cases, which is requiring companies to focus on digital upskilling and an expanded virtual workforce more than ever. Let's focus on the tax function. From a tax function perspective, working remotely does not look like it will be ending anytime soon. But like everything else in the world, right, tax returns still need to be filed and audits are still continuing. And in fact, my clients are also have voiced concerns around onboarding new employees and ensuring their productivity. And changing dynamics and changing regulatory environment have compounded these issues for business and the tax departments. Michelle, you've given us a lot to think about, and I want to start by zeroing in on a term that you use that really caught my attention, supply chain resilience. When you were talking about that, it reminded me of a recent fit for growth study that was conducted, and that study explores the vulnerabilities in the supply chain footprints that COVID-19 exposed and in some cases actually accelerated. So in that survey, PwC found that U.S. manufacturers could save nearly a quarter of their costs, for example, by shifting production out of China or nearshoring onto Mexico. So what is your reaction when we speak of supply chain resiliency in the pharmaceutical and life sciences industry? Well, Margie, um, the study actually reports that there is a need for companies to become more cost efficient and have a diversified supply chain globally. And this is imperative, given that we still just do not know what is ahead of us. And whether that may be a near success to a vaccine, which I know we're all waiting for, or a second wave, or another, you know, some type of a health or economic crisis. And another item to bear in mind is that the supply chain issues may be a little different for the generic versus the branded pharmaceutical companies. Now, with all that being said, there is an opportunity to consider reshoring, or another term is nearshoring supply chain for better access to not only the workforce, but also data and collaboration. And there is an opportunity to cut operating costs, which you highlighted, which is still a huge priority for pharma companies. And companies need to reassess their global footprint overall and model out all the possibilities since changing the structure of a supply chain, as we can't even imagine, will be an enormous undertaking. And business and tax considerations, including changes in the political and controversy landscape, need to be accounted for when modeling, especially when given the possible changes in the U.S. and global political landscape. Great point, Michelle. Now let's turn to something near and dear to my heart sitting in NTS, 
is that U.S. political landscape. You know, just around the corner, we have a U.S. election coming up. And presidential candidate Biden's tax plan would affect the supply chain, the manufacturing, and the farmer-related industry. And we recently discussed these issues with our PwC policy leaders, Rohit Kumar and Pat Brown, on one of our podcasts. So the outlook for the legislative changes next year really depends, of course, on the outcome of both the presidential and congressional elections, as well as the state of economy. And so based on what we understand so far of the Biden proposals, the PLS industry could lose tax benefits of deductions for prescription drug advertisements, and they could face tax changes that would end certain incentives to manufacture and have supply chains located overseas. So Michelle, how are PLS companies preparing for these possible changes? Well, Julie, as you pointed out, the PLS companies, for the reasons um, that you're pointing out, are keeping a real close watch on the developments of the U.S. elections. And it is just over 60 days away from this recording, which is hard to believe. And the starting place for considerations uh, would be the Biden's proposal to increase the corporate tax rate, which you pointed out. And because that would have a trickle-down effect to all the other provisions, such as guilty and FDII. And with regard to supply chain and manufacturing location incentives, there is some familiarity because you have to look at back at the Obama administration's proposals that reduce incentives to manufacture overseas. So this isn't necessarily new or new topic for PLS companies. Now, with that being said, the core analysis remained the same. The fact of the matter is supply chain related decisions will largely be business driven. The possible changes in the tax laws are unknown at this time. So companies are continuing to focus on upskilling the workforce and reducing costs. And tax will play a factor in the business decision, but it will not be the driving force. There also is not just the U.S., but the international landscape to consider, especially the developments under global tax reform and BEPS 2.0. And Michelle, that's a great segue to the global arena. How is PLS reacting now that there's some more directional discussion on what Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 could look like? As we discussed on our U.S. and Global Reform podcast with Pat Brown, there was an unofficial draft of the Pillar 1 blueprint, and that was leaked. And after we recorded that episode, an unofficial draft of Pillar 2 followed. Uh, Julie, we are following those developments very, very closely. And especially since companies in this sector or in this industry have such a high value intangibles and huge investments in R&D, which lead to, as we know it, those thorny issues under broad profit allocation, value creation, and nexus. And PLS is clearly impacted by the Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 proposals under MAPS. As for Pillar 1, the unofficial draft blueprint contains different approaches for determining whether pharma companies are in scope. And we are watching for the possibility of including guilty grandfathering for Pillar 2. Now, the business considerations driving the reevaluation of companies' global supply chain footprint are amplified by these movements in the global tax ecosystem. And we're also seeing and anticipating an increase in controversy for PLS companies, particularly in areas like transfer pricing, which isn't a surprise, and both on the federal and at the state level. So, Michelle, we've covered Pillar 1 and Pillar 2. And while the BEPS 2.0 guidance is still in the proposed phase, we've received some final rules in the U.S. post-tax reform. And so can you tell us what you're seeing in relation to the most recent U.S. regulatory guidance? 
So all the guidance under the 2017 tax reform legislation has an impact and is important. But if I were to focus on a few areas, I would say that guilty expense allocation and high tax exemption tend to have the largest impact for RPLS companies. And as we said a few times, modeling and planning are critical for assessing the impact of these provisions and the possible changes in rates. What modeling would do is not just determine the immediate impact of the calculations themselves, but also define the impact of cash planning and ETR. Now, one of the key challenge companies are facing is whether they are equipped to do this modeling and whether they can get access to the necessary data. And even when they get the data or obtain the data, the tax department will need to figure out how to manage the data and to interpret them. This takes a lot of resources and bandwidth, and it might be difficult to transition as new team members are joining the tax department, either through acquisitions or in some cases, if there are workforce restructuring. So Michelle, considering all these factors, working in a virtual environment and still needing to complete tax returns, anticipation of an increase in controversy potentially, and audit activity. Factoring all that in, Michelle, let's focus on data and available tools that companies should think about to help them manage their intense audit and compliance demands. Sure, Margie. Um, I think for the PLS companies, moving to a virtual environment, which we have all experienced, have definitely put a spotlight on the necessity to put and think about new workflows, digitally upskilling, and really a synthesis of people and technology. This applies with equal force for the tax department and will require more reliance on tools to manage audits, achieving compliance on a timely basis, as well as investments in cybersecurity to protect the valuable customer and patient data. Now, one area where we are seeing a great need for these capabilities is in the tax audit space, because unfortunately, we're not seeing the audit stopping. And in fact, it's increasing. That's really interesting. So let's focus on that because the PLS sector is unique in that it's incredibly important for them to manage this audit risk, but then they also need to be critically focused on managing their reputational risk. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So for my clients, you know, it's not just about this radical change to the regulatory and business landscape that they're grappling with. They're also facing a new frontier of either setting up or upgrading new ERP systems. And tax departments are trying to ensure that the necessary requirements are being captured within the system so they could actually get the data that they need to manage not only the compliance, but the the audit and reputational risk. And we are seeing an increased audit for state transfer pricing with auditors asking for more and more documentation. Companies need to have a better grasp of the information that's out there and making sure that they could actually get access to the information. Now, this can be difficult, right? I mean, to be honest, with limited resources and budget. So the tax position risk is only part of the equation. There are broader reputational risk at stake. Now, access to the right tools can give companies the insights that they need to stress test their brands and their corporate governance policies. And we discussed in in one of our latest PwC Insights, our transparency intelligence services, which can actually aid companies in managing their tax and reputational risk. But more importantly, whether the company uses someone like PwC or handles this in-house, it is really critical to do this assessment for the C-suite, especially in the new health economy. 
And this type of analysis doesn't always need to take place in a defensive situation. Now is really a great opportunity for companies to demonstrate their purpose and emphasize their commitment to ESG, as well as nonprofit and public health initiatives. That is really interesting, Michelle, and incredibly important. So let's talk a little bit more about that, especially given the focus on AI and forensics across business and tax. Tell me more about transparency intelligence. Sure. So it's really exciting working with our colleagues in our advisory practice, because what we're able to do is we can demonstrate the insights deriving from data forensics. It's really fascinating because we have access to the data and we have amazingly talented people that could be able to analyze the information. And companies can access critical information that will reveal whether their positions on important issues, such as where value is being created, and how transfer pricing policies align with what is in the press releases and other third-party publicly available channels, such as social media. Companies now more than ever need to have the confidence in a comprehensive oversight of the underlying facts supporting their tax positions. Michelle, thank you so much for this discussion. This has been fascinating. And you have taken us through some of the key focal points for PLS companies, not only during the pandemic, but also in their accounting for the political environment that we're in right now. So as we end this podcast, can you sum it up and give us a few of your key takeaways? Great, Julie. Um, I would sum it up in in three parts and and not in any uh, order of importance. But first, I would say that, as I mentioned a few times throughout our discussion here, that modeling and getting access to the right level of data is really critical. And this is where a company should be focusing on. And, you know, the fact of the matter is we may still be facing uncertainties, but that should not preclude companies from performing critical scenario planning both to understand the impact of the potential business decisions that are being made, as well as to inform policymakers about the implications of the proposed policy and legislation. Second, many PLS companies find themselves juggling or stuck between the rapidly changing healthcare systems, as well as the regulatory environment, which is a really hard place to be. Companies need to be able to strike that proper balance. They want to be compliant and stay compliant, while also being focused with the immediate need to manage costs, as well as to manage their new virtual workforce. So third, companies are looking at ways to prepare and organize data more efficiently while minimizing some of the manual work that is being currently done in the tax reporting and audit areas. So I would have to say it has become more important than ever to continue to invest in the right tools and to provide the continuous training to their workforce. Michelle, thank you so much for your insights today. We really enjoyed hearing from you in your new role, and we look forward to your returning to the podcast to discuss the future of the PLS industry. Thank you. Michelle, you've been a terrific guest. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Julian Margie. It's been a lot of fun, and it's been a pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.